So I still remember my very first day at primary school, and it was so much better than I expected. I'd been looking forward to it for so long, and having gone to nursery from age two, I wasn't one of those kids who screamed and didn't want to leave my mum. I walked down the path, and I never looked back. I think my mum was actually a little bit disappointed. Yeah, you can thank her for rooting in the loft for those photos. Um, after my half, the half day that I had to start school, my mum picked me up, and it was such a treat in itself, because my mum had gone back to work full-time when I was six months old. She planned to take me to my favourite park at a place called Picky Pool in Bangor. We arrived there and were surprised to see that there was nobody else in the park. It was completely empty. Everyone else was obviously still at school. My mum, who is genuinely the biggest kid around, she will still go on a swing with no children accompanying her um, at any park that she gets to. Um, she came on every single slide and swing uh, with me. And it was one of those parks, as you can see from the middle photo, with two slides together. And so we went down, holding hands, going down together. And I genuinely remember just complete joy and um, the feeling that I had having both my mum and the park all to myself after the best start to school. Isn't it just the most amazing feeling when you have your expectations knocked out of the park? When you go to that family gathering with your arms crossed and your head down, just willing it to be over. And then you realize that your family are actually pretty hilarious and you come home with aching sides from laughing so much. When you think your average day at work will remain just average and then you're super productive, nail your to-do list and manage to have some good chats with colleagues along the way. Bringing this into the context of today's talk, as we continue with our series on Esther, we will look at chapters 8 to 10 of the book of Esther. We will be focusing on the redemption that God brings to the lives of those who are humble and courageous, as both Lydia and Jamie talked about in the last two weeks. Honestly, when I was first asked to do this talk about redemption, I thought of two things. Number one, Shawshank Redemption, the best film of all time. Number two, one of my favorite childhood hymns that I remember singing at the top of my lungs with my nanny. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son. I won't do what Jamie did and sing it to you because you really don't want that. Um, and I could go on and on, but I won't. For me, these two things show perfectly the extremes in the redemption that God can bring to us. From the depths of a high security prison to the heights of singing your favorite hymn at church on a Sunday. Wanting to understand more fully the meaning of redemption and being a teacher, the first thing that I did was go to the good old faithful Oxford English Dictionary and find out the definitions. Redeem means to compensate for the faults of or bad aspects of. The word comes from the original Latin word redemere. Re meaning back and amere meaning by. Thus giving us the idea that in redeeming us, God buys us back to him in order to save us. In Esther's situation, this idea of God buying Esther back seems particularly poignant. Redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. So how does this link with something being better than you expected? We all know God doesn't do things by halves. So it's not surprising that when he brings us redemption, he doesn't just make it okay. He knocks out the park. 
God redeems us beyond our wildest expectations. We see the theme of extraordinary redemption running through so, so many stories in the Old Testament. God uses unlikely people to do the most extraordinary things. Firstly, we will continue our study of the story of Esther, a Jewish orphan who God makes the most powerful woman in all of Persia. To recap what has happened so far. So we have King Xerxes, who threw a huge feast for all of his officials. His wife, Queen Vashti, refused to come to the feast and parade in front of the king. So he decided to replace her. We all know it's acceptable to replace your wife when she doesn't do what you tell her to. Enter Esther, handpicked because of her beauty, taken into the king's harem, and Xerxes chooses her to become his new, new king. What a surprise. Esther's cousin Mordecai indirectly saves King Xerxes' life, but refuses to bow down to his second-in-command, Haman. Haman knows Mordecai is Jewish, so naturally comes up with a plan to destroy all Jewish people. A bit of an overreaction. The king gives his seal for Haman's decree, not knowing that Esther is also Jewish. Esther sets out to save her people, pleading with the king. She will do whatever she needs to, so the king will listen. She is even willing to give her life. Esther wins favor with the king and organizes two feasts, inviting the king and Haman. Esther petitions the king a third time and asks him to save her people from Haman's evil plans. Xerxes orders for Haman to be killed immediately, and this is where we start our story today. Chapters 8 to 10 of Esther are a whirlwind of fighting and heart-racing interactions between Esther and King Xerxes. She angers him with her requests, but manages to keep her life, and God gives her the courage to keep going back to Xerxes, buying time for the Jews. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plans of Haman, which he had devised against the Jews. Esther chapter 8, verse 3. King Xerxes puts an end to Haman's plans immediately. There is no doubt that God's favor is upon Esther, because not only does King Xerxes not punish her for forcing her opinion on him without his permission, but he actually listens to her point of view and does something about it. We see here the partnership between Esther and God, for the redemptive power of God to come to fruition. It isn't just Esther having the courage and Xerxes loving her so much that he does what she asks, nor is it Esther asking God to help her but doing nothing about it herself. Here it is both and. Esther plays her part and God meets her where she's at and does the rest. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Esther 8 verse 6. God honors Esther's commitment to her people by softening Xerxes' heart so that he listens to Esther over Haman, his most trusted second-in-command. The king ends up giving his ring to Mordecai and making him his new right-hand man. Mordecai sends letters to the provinces, allowing the Jews to defend themselves. The Jews rejoiced. On the day of the king's decree, the Jews destroyed their enemies. Mordecai wrote to all the Jews and established the Feast of Purim. This Feast of Purim was a huge turning point for Jews in history, and it's actually still celebrated by Jews worldwide today. 
God's hand in this story of Esther is inescapably clear. Surely the only way the Jewish people could avoid destruction at the hands of Haman was to have an insider who could petition the one man more powerful than Haman, King Xerxes himself. We see not only the redemption of Esther in this story from orphan to queen, but also that of Mordecai. We are first introduced to him in chapter 2 of the book of Esther, where we discover him as a mere Jew living in exile, who refused to kneel before Haman, the king's right-hand man. Now, as Lydia told us the other week, this led to Haman petitioning for all the Jews to be killed. Not only does Mordecai manage to avoid this, but through God's providence, he eventually replaced Haman as King Xerxes' second-in-command, gaining the respect of Jewish people everywhere. Mordecai goes from disrespecting the king's right-hand man to end up becoming the king's right-hand man. Now, if that's not God's redemptive power at work, then I don't know what is. God can use even the ashes from our worst choices to make something good. In many stories in the Bible, of which Esther is only one example, there is a pattern that forms starting with the humility that we see at the start of Esther's story. The humble beginnings of her life as an orphan as she enters the court of King Xerxes with no airs or graces, followed by incredible courage to do the right thing, shown in Esther by her courage to stand up for what she believes in, regardless of the consequences. She is willing to risk death. With these two things finally leading to extraordinary redemption, which in Esther's case looks like God using her to save the Jewish people and making her a queen to be remembered and looked to for inspiration for many years to come. Living a humble life, having the courage to stand up for what you believe in, leads to God redeeming us beyond our wildest expectations. These three themes are seen in countless stories throughout the Bible, and we don't have to look too far or too hard to see them in our own lives too. Whether big and obvious or small and seemingly insignificant, God has redeemed and will continue to redeem each of us in all manner of ways. No matter who we are or what we've achieved, if we humbly approach God in faith and take strength and courage from God, there is no limit to the redemption that God might bring next, not just for ourselves, but also for others, our friends, our family, our colleagues. Maybe you feel insignificant and can't foresee any plan for your life. So did David, and God made him one of the greatest kings of Israel. Maybe you feel like your friends and family have it in for you. So did Joseph, yet God redeemed his situation to save all of Israel and Egypt. Maybe you feel the need for financial security, emotional support, or companionship. God redeemed Ruth's situation to save with love and made her significant in her genealogy, leading to David and then eventually Jesus. Redemption is about walking from darkness into light. 
It's about God taking the small amount that you can give him and making something beautiful out of it. It's about coming with humility, knowing that we are nothing without him, standing in courage, knowing that he is on our side, and God knocking it out of the park with his extraordinary redeeming power. The journey of me coming to a place where I can stand in front of you today is a story of God's redemption in itself. If you knew me in my first year of uni, when I walked through those doors, different doors, we didn't meet here, um, at G2 10 years ago, um, I would have struggled to hold a microphone in for fear of it, honestly. Um, never mind speak coherently into one, as hopefully I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so I gave God the small amount that I had, and he has been working in me to bring me here today, and I know that he isn't finished yet. As many of you know, I studied languages at university, um, so now I'm a language teacher. I went to live in France and in Germany in my third year. I moved to Germany in the April after the most amazing time in France, and honestly, I really didn't want to leave. The transition was tough, and finding a church in a non-English-speaking country for the second time was hard, particularly when everybody thought that I was French, because I spoke German with a French accent, um, So because I'd just lived in France for seven months. Um, so for weeks, I sat through Lutheran and United Reformed Church services with the 12 other congregation members, feeling totally deflated and thinking, there must be more to the church in Germany. One of my German-speaking friends suggested I look for a Freie Kirche, or a free church. And much to my excitement, I found one just a short walk away from my halls. I made the trek one Sunday and reached the end of the street that the church was on. I could hear singing as soon as I turned around the corner. Mein Erlöser lebt, was being belted down the street. And instantly, I knew that this was the church for me. As I walked up the stairs, complete joy washed over me. You see, we can sing, my Redeemer lives every single day of our lives because Jesus is alive and he is our Redeemer. We can see Jesus' redemption in our lives right now and we will continue to see it again and again. It isn't just something that was just for Esther, David, Ruth or Joseph, it's for everyone here at G2 Burnhome too. We've looked at countless examples of redemption in a variety of stories, but there's a case of ultimate redemption and sacrifice that we haven't touched on. Through his blood, entered once and for all into the Holy of Holies, obtaining an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Through Jesus, we are already redeemed. All of our wrongs have already been made right, and we are set free. We must never forget that God has already redeemed us. He has saved us by his blood, and we are his. So if God can redeem us from the grave, how much more then can he redeem other areas of our lives? If he can conquer death, how much further then can his power go? In order to open ourselves up to this redemption that God offers us freely, we must daily choose to lay our lives down for him. Our inclination is to hold on to our lives at all costs, to selfishly conserve and preserve it. We naturally choose self-preservation 
over self-surrender and self-sacrifice. We try to save our own lives and in the process, lose it. Instead of losing our life for the sake of the gospel in order to save it. Mark 8, verse 35. Redemption starts with humility and courage and it requires sacrifice. As many of you will know, I recently visited Malawi. So Christian was in Tanzania while I was in Malawi. There are many things that need the work of God's redemptive power in Africa, as Christian mentioned. And we regularly find ourselves in quite a predicament due to the generosity and the welcome of the Malawian people. Picture this, our school group of 21 from York are the guests of honour at a huge festival put on by a village. There is music, dancing and speeches. Partway through, the organisers bring out 21 bottles of Coke and 21 muffins, just for us. There are around 1,200 villagers at the celebration and at least half of these are children. We had to drink and eat as the children, who looked as though they hadn't had breakfast, looked on. We were told that it would be utterly offensive to refuse or give away the Malawian's welcome gift to us. This was gut-wrenching. The situation needs the redeeming power of Jesus. Changing culture and shifting perspective are not easy things to do. And I honestly lift up my hands and say I absolutely could not do anything about that situation on my own. But I 100% know that God can. In this situation, in the moment, I could do nothing. My part in the partnership with God, working his redemption, seemed completely lost. It isn't always possible to do what you need to do there and then, but all is not lost. We continue making connections out in Malawi, and there will be right times to have those tricky conversations. I, will pray that, I pray that I will be able to play my part and know that God will play his. God calls us, all of us, to live out a similar story of redemption to Esther. He wants to redeem us beyond our wildest expectations. Will you join us on the journey? Will God fix the toxic culture in your workplace? Will God transform that friendship so that you can help each other follow him better? Will God end homelessness in York? Will God help us reverse climate change? Will God redeem the political situation in the UK? Let's face it, we need a bit of God's redemption. None of these things are beyond God's care or capabilities. It will probably take a bit of faith. It will probably take a bit of humility and a bit of courage. But there's no reason why any of us can't play a vital part in the redemption that God wants to bring us in all manner of situations, big and small. So where is it in your life that you need to see the redemption of Jesus? Can you think of a situation where you would like or feel you need to see God's transformation? What part can you play in God's redemption of the situation that you are thinking about? Is there something from the past that you might have given up ever seeing redeemed? 
Has there been a time where you have felt helpless in playing your part in the redemption story? Some of those questions are on the screen behind me. We're going to spend a few minutes on our tables chatting if you want to or just thinking quietly to yourself about those questions and asking God how he might want us to respond to this message. Thank you.